Hey, great to be here this morning. Isn't it wonderful that wherever God's people gather, we feel like family? We feel at home with each other. Amen. You know, as uh, Chloe mentioned, I remember this morning, next Sunday, 23rd of April, 17 years ago was when I first came into this country. 17 years ago, 23rd of April, 2006 it was. I came with 100 pounds and a bag of clothes, <laughs> walked out of Heathrow. I just had a word from the Lord. Had no clue what was going to happen. Didn't know, didn't know anybody technically. And I looked up. It was a gray afternoon, I can remember. And I said, Lord, this better work. <laughs> and when I look back 17 years, he has been faithful. Amen. He is a faithful God. And whatever you might be going through this morning, hold on to him. Because the Bible says the good work that he began in our lives, he brings it. To completion and wherever you are you may be in your journey he's got the finished plan already and he's taking you on that journey so good to be here this morning again as uh, you know uh, Chloe mentioned you guys are such a blessing to us so I want to thank Julian and uh, Sarah and you guys for the blessing you are not just to us at Gateway but also to the church in this nation and so keep on keeping on. What you're doing is bearing fruit, but there's more to come. Amen. One, we, so we came to the UK 17 years ago, but 11 years ago, we came to Wales. And I can't tell you more exciting than coming to UK was us coming to Wales. Because a little history about why this connection is so special to us. I actually put a slide up to just get us off the ground this morning. The first missionary to my wife's hometown, okay, she comes from a little town high up in the Himalayas. It's called Shillong, okay? If you Google Shillong, it'll tell you the whole story. The first missionary uh, to Shillong was a young Welshman from Powys. And I think he was about 31, the same age I was. I was 31 when I came to the UK. And he got married. And took, I think he took his wife, for, it wasn't their honeymoon, but that, as soon as they got married, they went as missionaries uh, to Shillong. Of course, they lost their first child because medical facilities weren't so good in those days. In fact, his wife died after about six years uh, in childbirth. But the work that this guy did, Thomas Jones, had to be a Thomas, had to be a Jones. The work that he did set the tone for what God did after that in, in, in that, in that little place. Now today, okay, now they were an animist kind of culture. They used to worship the trees and, the, you know, the stones and everything else. But the work that he did, the seeds that he planted, today 90% of that entire state is Christian because of Thomas Jones and what he did in the early 18th century. And we are so grateful. So when my wife and I, drove into the, you know, for the first time into Wales, it was like, wow, we're coming into the promised land. <laughs> what an honor for us to serve in this nation that took the gospel message to our nation. And not just that, I think the first missionary to Korea was also a Welshman. The first missionary to Korea, in fact, very close to Abergavenny, uh, is Clanover Chapel. I took a while to pronounce it a little better, Clanover. Okay, Clanover. 
And so we get Koreans coming almost every year on pilgrimage. Okay, they stay over at Gateway, they sleep the night, and then they go to Clanover Chapel because they are so grateful for what this nation did in investing in their nation. And so I want to say thank you this morning. Thank you for what you guys have done over the centuries in sowing the good news of Jesus into our land. We wouldn't perhaps be here today if it wasn't for a Welshman many, many, many years ago. And that's why I believe that mission is in the DNA of this nation. I believe God's put something in the DNA of this land that has a global influence. You have something inside of you that can change nations. And I believe right now God is saying, while we invested over the centuries in nations, right now our nation needs Jesus like never before. And it's not going to be difficult because the DNA is already inside us in this nation. And I pray this morning that you and I will be encouraged, you know, even as we're starting Alpha next week, that God is going to use you and me to bring a great harvest of souls into his kingdom like never before. And you are born and are alive for a time such as this. If you think you have no purpose, here you go this morning. You were born for a time such as this because someone somewhere needs you to preach to them or more than anything, invite them so that they can hear the good news of Jesus. And of course, I can go on and on about stories of what the gospel did to, to places uh, where, you know, where it went in. The animist uh, society today is a very thriving, it's a very rich culture, that region. Uh, in the northeast of India, because not only did Thomas Jones take the gospel, he taught them uh, coal mining. Is there some resemblance? He helped them coin uh, or put their script into, into writing. The Kasi language, he put it into Roman script. The whole story is on Google. If you just Google, you'll get the whole story. And they, the Christians there right now, they love Wales so much that they're praying for Wales. They are actually praying for Wales because, praying a blessing over Wales because they are so grateful. In fact, the national, not the national, the, the Kasi anthem, okay, that's the, the tribe that my wife comes from and that's where he went to, the Kasi, the hills, the Kasi hills, the Kasi language, the Kasi people. The Kasi anthem is the Welsh anthem in Kasi language. How about that? Now, that's how impactful the gospel is. It is the power of God unto salvation for they that believe. Now, I want to share this morning, how is it then that we can kind of get into this ministry that God's called us to? We're all called to this. It's not just a few people. It's not just Thomas Jones and his wife. It's not just a handful of people. God's called all of us together for a time such as this. All of us. You know, one of the verses in the Bible says one of our ministries is the ministry of reconciliation whereby we're here to reconcile people to God, reconcile people, of course, to one another, reconcile them uh, to themselves, because a lot of times people are battling with things within themselves. But we're called to the ministry of reconciliation. But more than anything, people need Jesus. You know, why? We, we do a lot of work with our community like you do. You know, and we realize we feed them, we clothe them, we, we empower them, we do all. But ultimately, they still need Jesus. Because we can feed them, we can clothe them. But the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? 
At the end of the day, we want to see them in heaven. When I talk sometimes, I sit in the cafe, talk to some of our people. I say, listen, we're helping. They're so grateful. And I, I say, yes, you know, we want to help you. We want the best for you. But listen, I want to see you with me in heaven one day. It'll break my heart if you're not with me there in heaven. But how do we, how do we encourage ourselves? How do, we, how do we, you know, build that into our lives where it's not something that we have to, you know, feel nervous about? How many of you know that it can be daunting? Okay, my wife and I are two different temperaments. She's the high sanguine. Okay, if she sees you, she'll hug you as if she's known you for the last 20 years. Okay, it comes natural to her. I'm the opposite scale of the spectrum. Shy, timid, okay? It seemed like I'm confident this morning, but I know the butterfly is on the inside, okay? But listen, how is it that we can still step out and reach out in this great kingdom business that he's called all of us to? How can we talk to our friends and neighbors and say, guys, listen, there's an alpha course starting next week. Come along for it. Four things I put down that can help us develop a lifestyle so that we can feel fulfilled in this call that he's called us to. Our Christian life is, is meant to be a fulfilling life. It's meant to be enjoyable. It's meant to be an adventure. It's not just a Sunday to Sunday. We get up in the morning. We do everything that we have to do. And uh, uh, the same old, same old. It's an adventure. It's exciting. Every day is like, God, what are you going to do today? And how do we build that? into our lifestyle. I put down four things for us to reflect on this morning. Number one, becoming a kingdom citizen. Becoming a kingdom citizen. Now, I, I say this a lot to our own church because I had to say this to me many, many years ago as a young Christian, that God wants me to move on from simply being in my mind a church goer to becoming a kingdom citizen. There's a difference from being a church goer. So I was very faithful, you know, Sunday morning. Of course, in India, you're very formal. So, you know, iron my clothes and everything. And then there was a time in my journey that the Lord said, you're doing good stuff, Chris, but I want you to graduate from being just a church goer to enjoying what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Suddenly, that's the game changer. Suddenly, it's a whole different way in which I begin to look at my life. I'm not just someone who attends church, or I go to church, or I do this, or I do that. Suddenly, I become a citizen of the kingdom. Where Paul says, my citizenship first is in heaven, and then everything else. And so, you know, what, what does it mean to be a kingdom citizen? It means allowing the Holy Spirit to to work that journey of sanctification. What does that word, Hebrews 10, 4 say? By one sacrifice, he's forever perfected those who are being made holy. In other words, there's a, there's a journey going on with our lives. God is in the business of transforming us. Where I was once, I'm not today. I don't know if you've seen that movie, The Cross and the Switchblade. Very old movie. If you're below a certain age, uh, you might wonder what that movie is all about. Great story. David Wilkinson, Wilkinson, who started Teen Challenge. And of course, you know, he goes into this uh, neighborhood, you know, in, in, in New York where there's a lot of rough gangs and things like that going on. And the Lord tells him as a young man to go and preach the gospel to these gangsters. 
And of course, the chief among them was a young guy who headed up a gang called Nicky Cruz. And of course, uh, the end of the story, Nicky and a lot of the gangster members get saved. But if you read, there's another book that Nicky wrote, Run, Baby, Run. Be- lovely book. I encourage you to read that. But of course, if you watch the movie, this is like the end of the movie. Now, Nicky is saved. Okay, so he's walking down, minding his own business. And suddenly, from the opposite direction, another gang member is crossing his path. Okay, and as they would do in those days, the first thing they would take off the knife because they're not messing around with each other. They want to kill each other. And so Nicky's walking. He's a Christian now. In fact, he's a, he's a pretty new Christian at that point of time. And this other guy takes the knife out, ready, ready for a fight. And Nicky just simply looks at him and says, hey, I don't do these things anymore. Jesus has saved me. That guy thought he's playing with his mind, and he's still provoking him. Come on, fight. And Nicky says, seriously, I, I, I've stopped doing this because Jesus has changed me. And the guy couldn't get his head around it. I mean, he put his knife back and went his own way. Listen, God is in the business of changing us so that we're not just doing things, but over a period of time, we metamorph. That's the word used in Greek. Do not, be tran- do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a, there's a transformation, a metamorphosis from doing to becoming. So in my good old days as a good Christian, I, w- I would do good things. I would do acts of kindness. I would do generous things. But over a period of time, God wants to change me so that I, just, I don't just do things. I become a generous person. I become a kind-hearted person. And I believe that's one of the areas God is in the process of developing us on a day-to-day basis. Not just churchgoers or people who do good things or people who attempt to do all good things, but God is in the process of transforming us. The old has gone, and behold, all things are made new. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey. It's a process. But if we allow ourselves to imagine, where is it that God wants to take me? Suddenly then every day becomes an adventure. Lord, what are you doing in my life today so that I can become who you want me to become? A kingdom citizen. And ultimately when you become a kingdom citizen, you you are someone who like Jesus, you know, gave the parable, is someone who found the treasure. Says the kingdom of God is like the man who found the treasure. And I'm always challenging myself. And I'm always challenging people that I know and say, have you really found the treasure? Because when you find the treasure, nothing else matters. Because when the guy found the treasure, it says he was willing to give up everything. He was willing to lose everything that he had because he realized the value of that treasure was enough to compensate for everything else and more. If not, he would have been a fool to give up everything to grab hold of that treasure. And my my friends this morning, The question we need to keep asking ourselves, have we found the treasure? Because then when you put the list on one side of all the things we think we're giving up for the kingdom, and then you put on the other side the things that we're actually gaining by being part of the kingdom, no, no match. My time, my this, my that, my that, they're all important. But when you find the treasure, you realize that nothing else, 
It's not really a sacrifice because you're actually gaining far more than what you're willing to lose for the sake of the kingdom. One of my own favorite verses, I've got lots of fa favorite verses, is, is Psalm 37 where David says, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen a righteous man forsaken nor his children begging for bread. You know, I grew up with a lot of poverty, a lot of poverty. And so when the Lord, I mean, fast forwarding, the Lord brought me into the ministry. I, I mean, I started doing very well from nowhere, you know, started, started earning good money and life was good. And then the Lord was pushing me to come into the ministry. But I was like, suddenly I began to think of my, my, my poverty days and the fear. What if, what if, what if I go back? Lord, I'll, I'll do everything. I'll serve you. I'll work hard. I'll give lots of money. But the call was something that I was fighting for a long, long time. And I tell you, when I did it, and that's a whole story in itself, till today, God has been faithful. That verse, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen a righteous man forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Listen, my friends, he's calling us on a journey to become kingdom citizens. Where our whole mind, our whole lifestyle, kingdom lifestyle, kingdom philosophy, kingdom finances, kingdom rule and reign, kingdom uh, priorities. I mean, we did a whole year on kingdom in our church and we still had kingdom stuff that we could keep adding on because he's called us to the kingdom for a time such as this. A lot of what Jesus spoke was the kingdom. And so suddenly it was no more, I attended church, I went to church, church became part of my everyday life because it was part of my kingdom citizenship. You with me this morning. He's transitioning us from churchgoers to kingdom citizens, moving from give us this day our daily bread to let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in my life as it is in heaven. You know, one of the illustrations I, I use to, to kind, of, kind of giving us a kind of a, a metric as to, do I really know that I've grown? And I mentioned it when we were at the meeting last time. So I use this quite, it kind of drives the message home. And so here's Charlie. Okay, I'll change the name today. Called him Johnny the last time. Let's call him Charlie today. So Charlie's a young lad, three, four, and he loves his dad. Dad loves Charlie. And they have an everyday routine. The dad runs a big business, okay? And so every day when the dad comes home, whatever, four o'clock, five o'clock, they have a routine every day that they do something together. So when, when Charlie's three years old, they play, play some games together. The next day, maybe they go out for an ice cream. The day after, the dad takes him to the park or whatever. Then, of course, as Charlie grows, because he's growing, they do different things. Okay, they go for a movie. Uh, they go, go play a game of pool or something, and now he's kind of 18, 19, 20, you know, he's growing, and, but they still do the everyday routine because the love between the two of them is so strong. And so one fine day again, as they had planned to go out for, a, for an Indian, let's say Indian, okay, uh, so, so Charlie's dad comes home and says, hey, Charlie, are you ready? We're supposed to go for an Indian tonight. And uh, Charlie says, yeah, dad, I mean, I'm ready, but are you Okay. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, Charlie. W don't delay. Let's go. Charlie says, listen, Dad, hang on. I mean, I know there's something not right. I know there's something that's troubling you. 
And, and dad says, please don't bother about that, Charlie. Let's do what we do every day and hang out together this evening. Charlie says, listen, dad, we can do that. But right now, more than anything else, I need to know what's going on. Why are you troubled? And dad says, okay, let me say that, tell you what's going on. There's a little, little trouble with the business, actually, at this point of time. But hey, listen, we, I'll sort that out. And Charlie says, Dad, listen, forget about the, 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 the Indian tonight. Let's just sit and, and talk. Tell me more about the go what's going on. Why? Because Charlie understands the father's heart. He understands what's going on. He knows Daddy, Dad's carrying something. Listen, kingdom citizenship is about growing where we understand what's happening with our father's heart. Yes, we enjoy the, you know, the toys and the games and the ice cream and give us this day our daily bread. And the Lord's saying, yes, I want to do that all. I want to do all that for you. But listen, there's a stage of growing from little Charlie, as Paul says, from infants into grown-up sons and daughters in the house of the Lord. Amen? You with me this morning? How do we catch what God is doing in a time such as this? Lord, help me graduate to becoming a kingdom citizen. In, in, my, in my nation, I mean, we don't speak a lot about it publicly. People are willing to lose their lives for, what's, for what they believe in. I mean, I get messages almost every two or three days because of connections and what's going on. They're brutal. They're lynching people. The, the reason they're willing to do that is because they realize what they have is far bigger, far more glorious than even life itself. And like I always say, sometimes living is far more difficult than dying. You know, you can die in about half an hour. But we have a life to live for the sake of the kingdom. Lord, graduate us from being every day, just dipping in, dipping out to kingdom citizens, grown up sons and daughters in the house of the Father. Because the excitement lies there. Number two, very quickly, the second way in which we can develop this, this journey that God wants us to grow into, recognize the supernatural. Hey, like I said, we do a lot of good work. We're known in our town for doing a lot of good work. And a lot of other people are also doing some good works. But we are the only people on planet Earth Christians, children of God, who have something that no one else has, and that is the supernatural power of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So while everyone's doing the best they can, we have a second wing, as I call it. And maybe the Lord is saying now, and of course, as, as uh, Cornerstone, you guys are pushing in that area and experiencing that and encouraging all of us to do it. Keep on keeping on. There is more. Our world needs to see a manifestation of the God that we're talking about. They've heard it all, but they need to experience something that no one else can offer them but our God. And so step out into the supernatural, even, even when we talk about witnessing and inviting people. People always ask me, coming from India, how do you witness to a Hindu, okay? How do you, how do you bring the gospel? Because how many of you know it's very easy to have a Hindu person come and sit in church. You can have the church full of Hindus. Why? Because they, they don't mind having Jesus added to their list of gods. They don't want to displease Jesus. 
Basically, they're good-hearted people. Don't displease any God. So if you say, listen, worship Jesus, they will worship Jesus. And so we witness to them and they come in. But there comes a time quite soon in the relationship that we share with them where we have to tell them, listen, what we're saying is in order for you to have eternal life, it's only Jesus who can save you. And it's only Jesus who you need to follow. Now that's when all hell breaks loose. That's when all hell, that's where the persecution starts. Because we're accepting your God, but you're not accepting our God. This is not fair. And boom, that's where. I mean, I had so many experiences with my own friends. They're all happy to come and sit in church. And one of my teachers as well uh, came and sat in church. And then I had to break the news to her in the most nicest way and say, listen, in order for you to have eternal life, it's only Jesus who can save you. And therefore, you need to follow him only. And again, all hell broke loose and. Thankfully, I wasn't in school. She'd have given me two, three slaps as they still do in India. <laughs> Stormed off. What's amazing? Three months, six months, sometimes one year, two years, they come back. They say, we've decided to give up everything. Follow Jesus. Who did that? Holy Spirit. We played our part. He did his part. Sometimes we can get so caught up in trying to figure out the whole process because we think we're responsible for the end game, you know, result that they, they've got to come into the kingdom and I don't think I can do this and how do I do that? And we get so weighed down with it. Well, all he's saying is you simply sow the seed and allow me to do my bit. <laughs> you don't be the God, don't play the God part. Let me play the God part, he says. You be the sower. Like Andrew, come and see. Sometimes some of us who are not very confident, the least we can do is take one of those leaflets, come and see. Come and see. And that's enough. God is able to take that come and see leaflet. Let me share that story about even the power of a little leaflet. And so this is a true story. It happened in Mumbai, where, where I come from. And so here's this bold, you know, on fire for the Lord, Christian guy, in one of the crowded Mumbai suburban trains with his bag of tracks, giving passengers tracks, okay? Nine out of 10 hate him for doing that, threaten him and whatever, but he still goes about doing it, giving tracks. So he gives it to one guy, guy takes it, he's realized this is a Christian giving one of his tracks, tears it into a lot of pieces, the thin tracks, and he throws it out of the window. No glass windows like we have here. Open windows, open doors, everything. People hang out of trains. You've seen Bollywood movies. You'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. So anyway, flings those pieces of paper outside the window. Little does he realize that on the other track, coming from that side, so train is going this side, is a, is, a, is a young man walking, waiting for the next train to run him over, given up on his life. And one piece of paper flies, hits him. On it was a small piece, bread of life. He says, I want to investigate why and who made this piece fly and hit me just when I want to kill myself. Long story short, he finds out about Jesus. Gives his life to him. 
and he saved for all eternity. <laughs> Sometimes the little bit of paper, but it's about taking the step of faith and saying, Lord, use me to turn someone's life around. And if you're not yet confident of speaking, take a track, take a leaflet, come and see. God is able to honor that step of faith that you do for his glory. He knows our hearts. He knows some of us don't have it as yet, but we're on the journey because we want to be kingdom citizens in its fullest sense eventually. Number two. And number three, about 24 points left. Just kidding, two more. No compartmentalization. That's the word. You know, our whole lives are now one. We've got to recognize that there's no church life that's different from my personal life, that's different from my work life, that's different from my social life. Yes, we have these different circles, and I call them circles of life that we find ourselves in. But we are the same person, carrying the same philosophy, carrying the same Holy Spirit in every circle. And so when we realize that we, our whole lives are one, then it'll allow us to realize that wherever I am, I'm carrying this dunamis, as the Bible says, the dynamite power of God inside of me, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my school and college, in my family. There's no compartment. You know, we were doing this earlier in the year when we started at Gateway Joshua 1.8. We meditated on that for a while. One of the things that stood out, and there was so much that came out from that, you know, he says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. And we said, listen, some of us have a different day life and a different night life. And he says, day and night, there's got to be consistency. Consistency in who we are, what we stand for. And like never before, the world is crying out. The whole of creation is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be manifest in a time such as this. Hey, listen, why am I saying all this this morning? Because there's excitement when we follow his ways. It's not boring then. It's not give us this day our daily bread and it goes on same old, same old. And after some time, it can get pretty boring. But when we begin to live on the edge, when we begin to live as he's called us to live, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Wow, those guys had no clue what they were in for. They jumped out of the boat and their lives were never the same again. He's calling all of us even today. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and women, boys and girls. Find the last point. How do, we, how do we grow into all these things that we've been speaking about this morning? Number four, revelation. Revelation. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every revelation that proceeds from the mouth of God. And sometimes we can read the word. I mean, there are scholars all over the world reading the Bible, but then lives are not changed. It requires a revelation by the Holy Spirit about what we're reading, 
what we're following, what we're talking about. Because when it becomes real on the inside, that's when the changes begin to happen. That's when the penny drops. Because now I know that I know that I know that I know. As Jesus told Simon Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Listen, pursue revelation. When we begin, revelation comes by intimacy. When we get into the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, we heard some words this morning from this crazy Indian pastor, Chris. What are you saying? And then he's able to take the human words or the written words and make those words real. That as if it's come from his mouth itself and it connects with our deepest being, our innermost man, our spirit. And then things begin to happen. Then you're running by revelation. Not running by everyday knowledge. You're running by revelation. I always use the illustration of the river of God that Ezekiel had a vision of. I mean, there are different beautiful interpretations. And, you know, it starts off by ankle deep. And, I all, you know, I always say we start our journey with God with the ankle deep. I mean, I, I, I love the water, but I don't like getting wet, if that makes sense. Okay, so I can go to the beach. I love the water, but I don't like getting wet. And so my kids want to drag me in, but I'll very hesitantly go and just tippy-toe just to keep them happy. And sometimes our Christian life can be like that. A little bit of Jesus, Sunday, Sunday again, maybe Wednesday. And so that's, that's one level, good starting point at least. But then he says, there's another level I want to take you into. From, from ankle, I want you to go to knee deep, knee deep. And then you realize, hey, it's more than just this little occasional dip with God. I need to fall on my knees and ask him to come into my life and choose to follow him for the rest of my life. And that's a whole different experience. Knee deep. But then he says, that's, that's, that's good, but that's, there's more. Waist deep. Waist deep. How many of you tried running in waist deep water? Baywatch. It's easier running in ankle and knee deep than waist deep. Because when we go deeper in the Lord, he begins to touch areas of our lives. He says, I want to deal with stuff that's not helping you. I want to work. I want to take off stuff that's hindering you from enjoying the fullness of this abundant life, John 10, 10, that I've come to give you. Of course, that's the time when it gets a little challenging. And we, we, we'd rather go back to ankle or knee deep because that seems a little less challenging but I want to encourage you, allow the Lord to push us. Maybe in the season where we talk about mission, it's not, an, it's not a very comfortable thing for some of us. But the Lord's saying, allow me to touch those areas because there's, there's greater joy when, I allow you, when, I, when you allow me to work in those areas of your life. And then we come to a place of not just waist deep, fully submerged. No longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. The greatest place of satisfaction when we come to that place, no longer I. It's kind of become my every morning prayer. Lord, as I wake up and go into this day, let it not be Chris, because the old man always wants to rise up. Our ego and our this and our that. And 
no longer I. My pastor in India, he passed away a couple of years ago. My hero, Pastor Joseph, he founded our, the movement that we came from in India. Thousands of churches and as, as it happens in, in a big country like India. But he used to drill these two things into our heads as young leaders. We were all in our late teens, early 20s sitting. Pastor Joseph was, was younger in those days. He, he was 91 when he passed away two years ago. But every meeting, he would drill two things into our head. And we wonder, why is he saying the same thing again and again? Two statements. Number one, he says, a dead man feels no pinpricks. A dead man feels no pinpricks. He said, the ministry, whether you're in leadership or not, has its battles. It's not easy. It's not a bed of roses. He says, but when you allow God to bring you to a place of death, you'll be able to cope with the pressures that come your way in your journey as a Christian. And the second statement used to drive into our head. One, dead man feels no pinpricks. Number two, what rights have you to lose when you don't have any? What rights have you to lose when you don't have any? He says, give up all your rights when you come into the kingdom, but for the right of preaching his kingdom. And then we begin to rise up on wings as eagles. Then we can run and not grow weary because all the weights that keep holding us back suddenly get broken. We can run and not grow weary. We can walk and not faint. My friends, as we kind of come to a close this morning, these are, these are exciting, strategic, critical times that we're living in. Maybe we've played tippy-toe for a while. <laughs> Maybe we've been, you know, knee-deep and recognized, yes, I need you, Lord. I mean, you are number one in my life. I believe he's saying there's more. There's more. Come to a place where we graduate from just being churchgoers to kingdom citizens. No longer I. Recognize that we're not alone in this journey. We've got the dunamis of heaven with us, inside of us, working in and through us every single day. That's my, that's my security with my timidity and my, you know, my lack of confidence. I know now he is with me and he who is in me is greater than he who's in the world. He gives me the words. Sometimes I don't know what to say. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm fearful. Help me. No compartmentalization. One, we're sold out. We're different. Royal priesthood, holy nation, people belonging to God. Holy, hagios, separate. Set apart for a different purpose. No compartmentalization. Not that God's work, Sunday morning, Wednesday evening, rest of the time. No, 24-7, 365 days. I'm set apart for you. I'm hagios for you. And revelation. Let me close with this last slide. Again, this happened in the northeast part of India for some reason. It's always been. Have you heard that great old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus? I have decided. I'm going to sing. You might run away. But it so happened that the story goes like this. There was this tribal man who decided to give his life to Jesus. And of course, you know, the whole village community didn't like it. And so they decided to take action. And so they dragged him, dragged his wife and kids, two kids out. 
as they do even till today back home in my country. And they threatened him and they said, if you don't renounce what you're intending to do or following this Jesus and stay with your faith, we're going to kill your wife. And he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Then they threatened to kill his children. I mean, that's the most difficult thing. Kids, your kids. And then he said, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. And finally, they threatened him with his own life. And he said, the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. I believe they're all celebrating in heaven today. They're rejoicing with the greatest gift any human being can ever have. Listen, guys, it's our time now. This is our watch. This is our watch. I always say this. I'd rather die on the battlefield than on my bed. Because when I'm on my deathbed and I have my last breath in my heart, I want to be able to think and say, Thank you, Lord, for the grace you gave me not to leave any stone unturned. You who died on that cross for me, the least I can do is give you the rest of my earthly living life for the sake of your kingdom. It's worth it all. And of course, don't be afraid because not one hair from my head will fall without his knowledge. Again, I can give you story after story after story where we were threatened and, you know, people wanted to come and kill us. But God protected. Because till, our time, till he says it's time up, no one can take our lives. But the joy of following the king. Nothing. Suddenly, life takes a whole different dimension. You walk into your workplace tomorrow morning, Holy Spirit begins to say, hey, offer prayer to somebody. Or, or, or sow a little seed into someone's heart. Or take one of those, I think you need more, lots more flyers because people, you'll be giving flyers to people. Hey, come along. Come and see. There's something. There's good news for you. Especially now when there's turbulence all around. The world needs Jesus. The world needs Christians to let his light shine. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We bless you, Lord. taking one minute just to reflect on all that he's shared with us this Sunday morning. And again, to encourage you, mission is in the DNA of this land. <laughs> mission is in your DNA. And the Lord is simply saying, let those wells of old be unblocked now and let the rivers begin to flow through you once again. Because I've called you for a time such as this. If God could use you to influence a big part of a big nation, listen, Wales has no chance now when the people of God rise up and say, we're coming to bring you good news. North, south, east, west. Great opportunities every day, all around us, like never before. Simply waiting for you and me. Reach out with love, with faith, with confidence. 
bringing them, Jesus. Father, we commit ourselves afresh into your hands this morning. We say continue to work in our lives so that as you work in us, you can work through us. Keep working in us. Keep graduating us day by day, glory to glory, strength to strength, so that we can get a, get a revelation of this treasure that we have found in you. Let us not just enjoy half the treasure, a little bit, but the whole measure of this treasure that nothing else would matter but you and your kingdom and your kingdom business because in that lies our fulfillment, our blessing, our joy. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Father, I pray for, for the, the program starting next week. Alpha, I pray there would be no room here. So many people would be invited and so many people would respond and Lord, so many people would be touched by your Holy Spirit and revelation that comes from you. We will see a harvest of souls. So bless us as a team together. We're, we're one church, wherever you place us, one church, one family, running this race together. Bless Cornerstone, Lord. What a blessing they are to the wider body. Bless this fellowship, bless the leadership, bless them all as they continue to sow. One day we will see great things for your kingdom, in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, amen. Come on, let's give him some praise this morning.